is absolutely 100% okay in an exam room with a client to say, I don't know, but I will find out. And know where to go to get that information and know, you know, who you can reach out to and who you can consult with. Welcome back to That Bet Life. We're going back through the archives to my conversation with Dr. Lauren Smith from season one as we looked at emotional intelligence and the role it has in helping us build confidence and set boundaries. As well as being a small animal vet, Lauren is passionate about sharing the value of empathy and effective communication and does so as a speaker through her platform, The Vetitude, which you can find out more about in the show notes. In this episode, Lauren shares what she has learned from her own experiences and speaks on the importance emotional intelligence has in our day-to-day lives as veterinarians. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's jump into today's episode. So, hey, Lauren, and welcome to the show. Hey, Mo. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's something that I've been really, really excited um, was to have you on the show. So to have you here is like a big honor. And uh, we're dealing with the time zone differences, but I think we're actually dealing with quite a bit of a miracle in the fact that it's still daylight here in Scotland um, when we're recording. Um, If we were doing this in like, I don't know, November, December time, it would be like pitch black. (laughs) Yeah, it's it gets dark pretty early here too, Um, you know. So, I think, yeah, I'm used to that. I think in like what when it hits winter, it's um dark about what five o'clock, right? And uh, for me, it gets dark probably around four thirty here. Oh, okay, yeah. Now I'm, I'm downstate New York, upstate New York. <laughs> well, it is really exciting to have you on the show, and I wanted to open up the very beginning to kind of let you tell a little bit more about your story and mm-hmm. the things that you're excited about right now. So I'll hand it over to you. Right. Well, I am a small animal veterinarian. I graduated from Ross a long time ago. I'm almost afraid you now. <laughs> I've been out of school now. Uh, I graduated about 11 years ago. I graduated in 2008. That's and, not that um, long ago. No. <laughs> and um, so I've been an associate in small animal practice for, uh, you know, for most of that time, just recently started doing just relief work now. So Um, that's been a big transition that I've been going through and I started doing that so that I'd have more time and flexibility to work on the vetitude, which is my personal brand that I do a lot of writing and speaking for. So, um, you know, I'm trying to, to grow that and, um, you know, use that as a platform to help, uh, other veterinary professionals have more fulfilling, satisfying careers. So that's where I'm at right now, working on both of those things, growing my relief business and growing the vetitude. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, I think I don't know too many people um, like in the new grad circle uh, who have really thought about that many years ahead. But did you think that you were eventually going to go into relief work? No, I didn't. I never I never really considered that. Um, and a few years ago, I start, you know, one of my friends who is a relief veterinarian contacted me because, um, you know, someone that she did work for needed someone in a pinch. And she's like, hey, you want to make some extra money? Um, and it was at the emergency clinic. And I was like, I've got nothing to do today. Sure. And I started just doing that here and there for, you know, some additional money, um, you know, but it wasn't uh, something that I had considered doing as a, a full time career until the last year or two. 
And what did you think about doing um, relief work? Was it something that initially you were kind of like, oh, this is a little different? Or did you find that straight off you really enjoyed it? Um, so, I mean, just in the terms of dealing with clients and stuff in those long-term relationships, it can be emotionally exhausting and draining, but it's also something that I get a lot of, uh, you know, satisfaction out of, and that is a big focus of mine. And so not having that, um, you know, as much is certainly something that has been a loss for me. Um, also I found that a lot of, you know, a lot of places where I do relief work, people want to see their regular veterinarian for the most part. And so when you're doing relief work, a lot of times you're not that busy. And I'm coming from a practice that was a very, very, very busy five doctor practice that probably should have been six doctor practice. Um, and so I was like used to being like going all the time. And so on the one hand, it's nice to get to like take a breath and take things at a bit of a slower pace. But I've also found that even though I'm not the kind of person who ever thought of themselves as thriving on that kind of like chaos, now that it's gone, a part of me is kind of like, you know, sometimes when I'm doing relief work and it's slow and I'm just sitting there, I'm like, what am I doing here? Why? Like what's like, it, it kind of feels a little bit like I feel less important. <laughs> that doesn't sound too narcissistic. No, uh, no that makes sense. But, but it's definitely, so it's, it takes a little getting used to, but it's definitely been a very good step for my overall um, balance and for my, I think, overall quality of life because the practice where I was at was just getting to be too chaotic and too, too much. So, Yeah, so you kind of had to decide to mm -hmm. set those boundaries, but you had the confidence that you're like, okay, I've built up to this point. I think I can take the next step. And you mentioned the vetitude, which that's kind of your own personal brand, which mm -hmm. um, made your snaps and claps for going out on a branch and starting on that because um, I'm, not too many people have really taken that big leap. Like they've started an idea for a brand, but to like really leap out on it, that's, that's pretty mm -hmm. awesome. So what was the, um, the fire behind that? So it was kind of a progression of things and it's definitely something where, uh, you definitely really need to be doing it for the right reasons. If you're just doing it to get attention and to get people to see your stuff, you're going to give up quickly because when I started writing, I wrote plenty of articles that, you know, and blogs that were seen by like 12, that had got like 12 views and six of them were me checking for formatting issues. Um, and I started writing originally, I actually started writing for clients. I wrote things like um, three things to do for your allergic pet or seven ways to get your dog to lose weight or, you know, things like that were my original stuff. So if you are looking for that external validation of people reading your stuff and commenting on your stuff, um, you're not going to last very long. But for me, I found it to be, you know, very therapeutic to write and to um, just get stuff down on paper, especially as I transitioned to writing for other veterinary professionals and started writing less, um, you know, stuff that was more story driven um, and more about my experiences, I found that to be, uh, I kept writing because I enjoyed writing and I, it helped me process what I was going through as a veterinarian. Well, that's pretty cool. 
I actually didn't know that you had, like you started writing for yourself and then writing for other vets. Mm-hmm. So that's where you, yeah. you kind of went, hmm, I can turn this into something um, a little yeah. bit bigger. So originally my, originally I just had a website called Lauren Smith DVM and that's where I was mostly writing for um, clients and stuff like that. And then I had a blog that actually did go pretty viral. You know, again, like I said, I was used to getting like 10 or 15 views. And then suddenly this one thing I wrote got like 40,000 views. Whoa, Uh, where did that come from? And um, so then I, um, and that was something, even though it was written for other, uh, even though it was written for clients, it was like the real reason your wait at the vet's office is so long. I think it resonated more with other veterinary professionals because it was, um, you know, talking about, you know, how hard we work and, you know, how sometimes we do get behind or, you know, but it's because we're trying to help as many, you know, any, as many animals as possible. And we're trying to give everyone the attention and the time that they deserve. And so, you know, that was something obviously that resonated with a lot of other veterinary professionals. And um, with some guidance from uh, Dr. Andy Rourke, who reached out to me, he was like, hey, have you ever thought of writing for other veterinary professionals? I was like, no, I haven't. And he's like, well, if you want to write some stuff, send it to me. And, you know, and so I, I decided to give it a try. And it just, it really just clicked and resonated. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, because I think I, I've now seen a couple of your articles as they're popping up on mm-hmm. Andy Work, And I'm like, oh, there mm-hmm. she is. That's so awesome. <laughs> I still post some stuff on the Vetitude. But even then, you know, when I write, stuff and post it on my own website, it gets seen by a lot less people than if I just write, you know, a lot of my Instagram posts are kind of like mini blogs. So that gets seen more. Or if I have like a bigger blog and a a longer thing that doesn't fit in the caption, I tend to have it published there because it does have more reach. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that's always, it's always an interesting story just to see how someone started. Um, in what they're doing, which you mentioned Andy Rourke, and Mm -hmm. that makes you think of Uncharted. So you went to Uncharted Veterinary Conference. How did you find that? Uh, It was great. I mean, the the networking and the connections that I made and the people that I met were just so great. And um, I'm having some major FOMO right now because they're having their um, staff drama conference starting today, and I'm not there. It's the first Uncharted that I won't be at. so I'm, I'm having some major FOMO there, but um, the thing about Uncharted is that it's not about the conference so much itself. It's about the people. And so, yeah, they have, um, you know, lectures and workshops and things like that, but so much more of what I take away when I go to the conferences is from the conversations that I just have with the people there. Uncharted is something that I've always looked at and I'm like one day one day I will go to that but of course I'm never even in the country when it happens so I'm right there with you I'm like oh I really want to do this yeah well you're coming back to the states when you graduate right oh yeah so you'll be you'll be back in America soon and you can come join us well that'll be pretty cool but one day yeah one day yeah and I think it's important because it also focuses on an area of practice that often gets overlooked Um, You know, we all want to, of course, improve our medical skills and be the best doctors that we can be. Um, But we also need to focus on how to, um, you know, how to how to best deliver those services to our patients and our clients. And so that's where that focus is. Yeah. Yeah. 
And with just how like media and marketing is changing, um, I feel like Uncharted is a really good way for us to stay a little bit linked to what's happening in the rest of the world um, so that the veterinary profession can actually provide the information needed to our clientele Um, to help build their confidence in us and provide the service. And do it in a way that's technologically (laughs) uh, modern. (laughs) I mean, that's another thing about being relief is um, seeing just how, how um, old school some places still practice, like the number of practices that still have paper records or um, I was at a practice the other day that still had analog radio x-rays and I was like, waiting for them to develop the x-rays and i was like i have not had to wait for x-ray development so long oh my goodness i didn't know i didn't know those were still in existence they are apparently i mean they they teach us about them in school and like in Mm -hmm. case we go to some back country practice that still has them that we're a little bit knowledgeable how to use them but in a, a very large town in long island oh my that is really rare (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wait, like, so it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how much resistance there is to change and growth in the profession in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely, I think, an area where as a profession, we need to do better. And having the conversations with everybody is basically the big way to move forward with that. Mm-hmm. Now a quick word from today's show sponsor. Do you want to be part of a positive change in veterinary medicine? That's the question we're asking in our landmark veterinary employment, engagement and retention survey, which is now open. Maybe you're one of those people who are struggling, or on the other hand, you might be really enjoying your work and practice. No matter how things are going, we'd like to hear from you so we can build a clear picture of the state of the profession. We'll be writing and publishing a report based on the study findings so that everyone involved with veterinary medicine has access to a body of evidence that answers some of the key questions about what we're getting right and what we're getting wrong. If you're someone who cares about the future of veterinary medicine, then we'd now like to invite you to complete the survey. Your voice matters and it should be heard. It won't take long to complete and the more people who take it, the more reliable and influential the results will be. And if altruism isn't enough, then as well as being part of a positive change in veterinary medicine, you'll also be entered into our prize draw, where you could win a selection of prizes each week, including a 50 buck Amazon gift voucher, up to 10 Starbucks coffee cards, and five copies of my ebook, So Your Vet, Now What? To take the survey, head to vetexinternational.com forward slash V-E-E-R. That's Victor Echo Echo Romeo you'll be contributing to a better future for veterinary medicine when you do. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. So today we kind of wanted to touch on some big themes that have been coming up on your own Instagram feed with your very well-written posts and blog articles. Thank you. Um, on the topics of setting boundaries and building confidence. Um, For myself, as someone who is in her final year of rotations and in eight months will be a fully-fledged veterinarian, um, baby veterinarian, (laughs) taking my first shaky steps um, as the professional walking into the consult room rather than the student tagging along, this is something that I kind of think about every day um, 
in the sense that like I have to be going from being a competent veterinarian into a confident veterinarian so that I can portray this confidence to my clientele. But additionally, every single day, I am trying to take on as many learning opportunities as I possibly can. But sometimes I wonder, am I taking on too much? And do I, how do I set the boundaries of saying, okay, this is how many plates I can be spinning right now. I have to let one of them go. But how do you do that without looking like someone who's, I don't know, I feel like I'm slacking off or something if I say, oh, I can't do that. So that's kind of where I'm coming from in this mindset. And you having years of experience of going from small animal struggling with that exact same thing oh no so it keeps going yeah it gets better but it's never something that you're going to completely get over i mean as a as a general rule we are a profession of people pleasers and we and we are a profession of perfectionists and so we always want to try to make everyone else happy and we always want to try to be the best and do the best so i think one thing is you need to come to terms with the fact that you're never going to know everything. No matter how much time you spend but studying or, you know, learning or doing things, you're never going to know everything. So you need to come to terms with that. And it's not about knowing everything. It's about knowing where to go to get the information. So it is oh, absolutely 100% okay in a room, in, a, in an exam room with a client to say, I don't know, but I will find out and know where to go to get that information and know, you know, who you can reach out to and who you can consult with. I still constantly ask, uh, you know, my colleagues for advice or their input on cases. I call Antec for, uh, they have specialists on call that you can ask for consults. I'll call over to the emergency, uh, to the specialty centers and ask the specialists for advice. Um, and because I, I can't know everything there is to know. And so, uh, as long as you communicate that with the clients that, you know, these are some areas that we're kind of looking at, but I have to, you know, I have to do a little bit of research on this or let me reach out to someone and, and, um, you know, who knows a little bit more about this and see what's going on. Um, they will appreciate that, that you're, um, you know, going out of your way for them and they don't, um, you know, they won't be upset that you just don't know everything, which is hard to accept. You want to be able to give them answers right then and there. I think the other thing with setting boundaries is that as much as it would be nice for us to be able to set boundaries because we need to set boundaries for ourselves, again, as people pleasers, sometimes doing it for ourselves is not enough. It should be enough, but it's not. So I think it's also important to remind yourself all the other reasons that it's important to set boundaries. Studies in human medicine have shown that working extended work hours, working more than 40 hours a week, that significantly increases the risk of making medical mistakes. If it's true for human doctors, it's probably true for us. We are not above, we are not above the physicians in that sense. And so we want to help everyone, but putting ourselves, um, you know, doing too much is not the best way to help um, all of the clients and all the patients, because when we take on too much, we start dropping balls and it's better to not take that plate than to keep trying to spin it <laughs> and to drop it. Nope. Nope. That makes complete sense. And, um, in reading through one of your posts, you talked about with setting boundaries, um, like a hesitation that tends to happen. Like we hesitate to set the boundaries and you ask the question, okay, like 
why do we hesitate? So what is your answer for that one? So I think that there are a, a number of reasons. Of course, um, part of it is because we want, like, like we just said, we want to help everyone. We're people pleasers. We want to do the best we can. We want to help everybody. Um, and we, we're scared. We're scared that if we don't say yes, that we're going to miss out on opportunities or that we're going to let people down or that we're going to be a failure. So that fear is a big one. Um, guilt is a big one. But I think a big one that is underestimated is that in our, you know, in our cultures and in our lives, we spend so much time trying to conform to what other people want of us and trying to meet all of these externally dictated goals and, and bars that we have to meet that we've forgotten who we are and what our boundaries are. We've learned to ignore the signals that our own bodies uh, and our own minds are telling us of when you know, when we've hit that boundary, we've, we've started ignoring them and we just don't know where they are anymore. And so I think figuring out who you are and, and what your own boundaries are is, you know, an important first step in being able to, to set those boundaries. And so as vet students, um, who are maybe in like myself in final year, um, like thankfully we're in the protective bubble of being at the university. We get to try some different things out. Um, do you have any I, like ideas or advice on what are good ways to kind of test mm-hmm. boundaries in like the safest way possible? Right. Right. Well, I think a lot of it is about self-awareness. So I am a big fan. I do a lot of yoga. I do a lot of mindfulness meditation, um, to be able to get into, and I've done like a lot of emotional work to be able to get back in touch with those emotions because our emotions exist to tell us something and anger is an emotion that exists for the pure purpose of telling us that our boundaries have been crossed. Like, so we need to get back in touch with those emotions and it's not just anger in its pure form, but like things like irritation or uh, annoyance or, you know, some of those kind of what are called softer forms of anger, um, you know, are big signals that our boundaries are being crossed too. I think there's also something to be said uh, about, um, you know, intentionality and and taking things on intentionally because, you know, as a student, there are a lot of externally set markers that you just have to meet. I mean, you have to take that test. You have to, you know, those are not things that you can necessarily change. So you have to come to a way of thinking about it where you are, you know, reminding yourself that you are choosing to do this. Um, yes, you have to take that exam, but you have to take that exam because you are choosing to be in that situation and because this is what, you know, what you want. And so it's, um, you know, and, and to remind yourself of your goals and your priorities and to look at it as not as an I have to, but an I choose to. I really like that kind of way of looking at it, um, the intentionality and being aware of your emotional intelligence. I feel like that's something that they kind of touch on a little bit here and there in vet school, but by the time you hit final year, um, like they talk about client communication courses and how should you um, interact with the clients, but they never really call it like emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, there is like a level that you just innately have, mm-hmm. um, but I still think there's always like a level that you can you could be taught. 
And in vet schools, um, thankfully, there has been a lot more of a push to really work on teaching emotional intelligence or teaching the markers of it so that when students are like I I, I always recommend to students when you're going out and practice, um, don't just try and learn the clinical skills. Like obviously those are important and they help boost your confidence a little bit. But always watch how the veterinarian is interacting with the clients, vice versa, and everybody else within the clinic to understand like the clinic culture in the sense that you're kind of you're learning kind of like like a small child learns how to interact with the world. But we're in our own little microcosm because going and being at a, a veterinary office and talking with people is not something that you really do outside it's not like you go to the coffee shop and you're like tell me about your coffee experience what's happening around it how long has your coffee been hot (laughs) has it been um to the left of the plate for five more minutes then it's been to the right of the plate like those are not normal things um (laughs) that'd be such a weird conversation a weird conversation (laughs) but um this is something that's kind of like ripe on my mind and Mm -hmm. something that i'm really passionate about is making people aware of this idea of emotional intelligence and how we like it's really important for um helping to set those boundaries within veterinary medicine because until you understand your own limits or Mm -hmm. how to stretch your boundaries a little bit because that's that we can talk about that a little bit too um Mm -hmm. because it's not like your confidence bubble is set exactly as it is you can always try and stretch out maybe it's not like a perfect circle maybe it bubbles out on one side and then the other um kind of idea but Mm -hmm. yeah I just I really appreciate how you're talking about emotional intelligence and how do how do you think uh, veterinary students can become more aware of their emotional intelligence and try and build out in that sense Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think practicing presence. So I know a lot of people, you know, I think with meditation and mindfulness, there's this divide. People either are like all about it or like, that's just like total woo. It's crap. I don't have time to sit still for five minutes, do nothing. But I think it is important because, um, being present in the exam room with your clients is one of the most important things you can do. And so I think we, a lot of us think that we're good at listening to people, but we're not that good at listening to people. The average person's mind wanders 50% of the time. And when you're, especially when you're a new grad, I think that's especially true because you get a case and, you know, the technician comes out and tells you the, the history and the signalment and everything. And automatically your start, your brain starts trying to process, okay, well, these are some of the possible differentials and these are some of the tests that I'm going to want to run. And then you go into the room and you start talking to the client and the client is talking to you and you're kind of half listening, but your brain is still focusing on trying to figure out what you're going to do and trying to process what's happening and everything that's going on. And so you're not really fully absorbed in that moment. So I think practicing that and mindfulness is just a way of practicing being present so I think practicing that presence and being totally fully you know immersed in that moment is really important and then after you can step out and start thinking going through the differentials or you know after they finish talking you can kind of talk through it a little bit and and figure out what's going on but you really need to be working more on listening to the client and um and evaluating their nonverbal communication as well too and really paying attention to them rather than being in your head the whole time 
Yeah, the the nonverbal communication, that's also like a really big side of it. Um, what's uh, something that I find really fun when I'm just like sitting there people watching, um, which that is such a fun thing to do, um, mm-hmm. is seeing how people are interacting with the nonverbal side of their communication. Because you can see when someone wants to get out of a conversation or um, if you don't know who like the lead person is in a conversation, just watch how everybody else mimics um, mm-hmm. or is responding to their body posture yeah. or body language. Uh, it's easier when they're standing than when they're sitting. That mirroring um, is is really actually a very can be a very powerful thing. Um, and if you can pay attention to people's bodies language and occasionally kind of mirror what they're doing, they will feel more connected to you because we have these these mirror neurons in our brain that that's where empathy comes from. Um, but it's kind of like the same thing when like two people are on a date and they start, you know, matching each other's mo- like movements or crossing their legs towards one another. That means that the date is going well. That happens in non-romantic situations too. I mean, if you find that people are starting to, um, you know, mimic your posture or your pace or your tone, um, and you can try to do it a little bit intentionally too. You don't want to go overboard because it will come off as disingenuous, but mm-hmm. you can the way that people feel about you and think about you in that exam room by, you know, using that, that mirroring. Yeah. And that is, that is exactly something that I'm trying to understand and learn a little bit more of. Um, because I think like going back to the whole like confidence side of things, if you can really understand like what's going on in your own mind and what your own body is portraying, then you can like, you have a little bit more control and understanding of what's happening. It builds your confidence in that setting and then you're able to almost portray that confidence in what you're saying to your client. Um, and as someone who's going to be a new grad soon, I'm, I'm really trying to understand and learn that a little bit more and then build it up as I go. Because obviously, like tomorrow morning, if I just read something, I'm not going to go and try out all 20 different things because that would come off a little bit weird. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life.